We're in chapter 2. We started chapter 2 last week. And the story up until now is uh, after a disaster in the first chapter, Ruth and Naomi have left the Moab and have come back to Bethlehem, to Naomi's hometown. And Ruth is, as we've seen, a Moabite. So she's not only a foreigner, but she's a hated foreigner. Moabites were enemies of Israel at this time, or at least in recent history. And Moabites were actually not even permitted to enter into the assembly, the tabernacle, uh, because of the historical animosity between Israel and Moab. So the fact that Ruth is a Moabite is a strike against her. The fact that she's a widow is another strike against her. And so we saw that uh, despite all of that, Ruth clung to, use that, that word that describes the relationship of becoming family with someone, she clung to uh, Naomi and basically has entered into, has cast her lot with the people of Israel. And so she gets back to Bethlehem and immediately uh, sets out to work. They've got to eat. They have no male relatives to care for them. They have no husbands. They have no fathers. They have no brothers. They have no sons. And in that world, if you didn't have family caring for you, you didn't have anything. There was no safety net. That was it. So Ruth said, or Naomi uh, is pretty much grief-stricken at this point or destitute. Uh, chapter 1 ended with her bitter lament. And literally, she said, just call me bitter because I'm just a bitter woman because of all that God has done, how he's basically taken everything from me. So Naomi's a lot like a female Job in many ways. And Ruth is like a female Abraham, because in this chapter we see that uh, she leaves everything. In the last of chapter 1, she left everything she'd known, her family, her household, everything, and set out to go with Naomi and to live amongst a foreign people, foreign God, uh, everything was new, but her love and her devotion to Naomi and, and her willingness to enter into the people of Israel show a remarkable degree of grace and kindness that she has. Uh, and that Hebrew term chesed, which is so important, uh, which means basically devotion to the other person. And so that characterizes Ruth. So in chapter 2 last week, we saw Ruth set out immediately to get to work to go earn a living. And she did so by becoming a scavenger. Uh, the, the nicer way to say that is a gleaner, but gleaning is just scavenging. It's just going behind the workers in a field and picking up scraps and subsisting off of those scraps. And that's what she does. She set out to do that. And she ended up in a field of a, of a man of valor or a man of note, uh, a man of high standing named Boaz. And we saw last week how Boaz was... Um, the name, Boaz's name likely means uh, in him is strength, and his character bears that out. He's described as a, uh, a man of valor or a man of high standing, and it's, it's also the term for a gallant warrior. So he could have been a warrior at some point, or it could just refer to him as a landowner, as a, as a notable person in that society. But she ends up in his field, and it turns out, unbeknownst to Ruth, that he's actually a relative of Naomi's dead husband. So he's part of the same clan, Elimelech's clan. So he is extended, widely extended, like second, third cousin type extended family, but they are a part of the same clan. But Ruth doesn't know that. She uh, just sets out to work. She 
she presses against social norms. She goes to the foreman and says, hey, can I pick up and can I even work among the sheaves? Which you, that was more than what the law was supposed to allow. But uh, she does it anyway. She's assertive in this role because Ruth's not just caring for herself. She's caring for her mother-in-law back home. So she's doing double duty. And so the, the foreman allows her to. And when Boaz asks who she is, he says she's been working all day. She, she's... And he tells her who she is, and she came, and, and she's a hard worker. Uh, all day she's been slaving away, gathering. And so Boaz shows her kindness. Last week we saw he, uh, he not only says, yes, you can stay here, but actually don't even worry about going in other fields. Just glean in my fields, and you can even glean among the sheaves. So he, he gives her the ability. Again, he doesn't give her charity. He gives her opportunity. He doesn't just give her, oh, here, don't even glean. You just here, take all this and go home. He could have done that, but he doesn't. He, he gives her something else. He gives her dignity, the ability to work and to gather and to, to earn a living in a fair way, in a just way. So he shows grace, and we talked about last week how that's, you know, some people want to just show grace to people in need, and that's a good thing. But some people want to make people in need work. That's a good thing, too. Because there's a dignity in that. And so the Ruth story is a cool story that balances both of those desires that we as a society have to show charity, to show grace, but also to give dignity and opportunity rather than just a handout. A hand up, not a handout. And that's what Boaz does. And there's, there's a lot of wisdom and, and there's a lot of honor in that. And we're going to see even more honor in this section because when he tells her this, she bows down and she says, you know, why, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a stranger? And we talked about there's a word play in that, that you, that you notice an unnoticeable uh, would be maybe a close way to do that in English. But the word for stranger and the word for to notice are the same verbal root. And so she's like, why would you, I'm a, I'm a foreigner, I'm a stranger, why would you notice me? And he says, I've been told all about what you have done, this is verse 11, for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord, and we talked about how that word repay you in NIV, it's may the Lord fill you. It's the, it, it comes from the word root which means to be full or to be complete or to be whole. It's the word shalom. And it's, it's literally shalom. It's how you say hello in Hebrew today. But it's, it's may the Lord fill you, complete you uh, richly. May the Lord repay you for your May you be richly rewarded. That word again, shalom. Fully rewarded, completely rewarded, um, extravagantly rewarded. So the whole of chapter 1 was all about how in Naomi's mind, God had taken everything. God had emptied her. She says, I left here full and I've returned empty. And so I'm bitter. And so now Boaz, in a completely separate conversation, is, is basically praying or asking or speaking a blessing over Ruth. May God fill completely you for the kindness you've shown to my family. You, a foreigner who's come back to uh, live with my people. And he says, he uses a beautiful phrase, may you be fully or richly rewarded by Yahweh, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And that is an image. This is one of the numerous female images in the Bible of God because it was the mother chick or the mother hen who would gather her chicks under her wings. 
the, the, the birds would go under the wings of their mother to be sheltered from the rain, from the storm, from the cold, from even from the heat. Um, that's so the image. It's a very cool image. It's a it's a it's a, a not sentimental, but it's like a very warm and and sweet image of God. And we don't get that a lot in the Bible because the Bible is a patriarchal culture. But this is a matriarchal book. This is a book that's from the perspective largely predominantly of women. And so of course it's fitting that in this book God's the image of God's protection would have a feminine. Uh, flavor to it. And it's a really cool, especially those of you that have uh, loving mothers. This is one of those times where God is portrayed as a loving mother and as, as using an image from the animal kingdom. This would become later Psalm 91, Psalm 17. We both use this phrase of the Lord sheltering you under His wings. May the Lord shelter those under His wings who take refuge in Him. And Jesus, when He actually was lamenting over Jerusalem's upcoming doom, Jerusalem was going to fall and Jesus predicted it in the Olivet Discourse. Um, and He cried out, He said, Oh Jerusalem, how I long to gather you under my wing, or gather you to me as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And so Jesus was even longing to be for Israel in His day what Boaz was saying God was for Ruth in His day. So I, it's, a, it's a really, it's, an, it's a cool image but that's when you think of coming into relationship with God. That's what Boaz presents, how Ruth has done. From Ruth's perspective, again, keep in mind, from Ruth's perspective, she has chosen destitution. She has chosen poverty. She has chosen faithfulness to her mother-in-law, even when it means leaving everything she's known, leaving safety, leaving security, leaving any type of familial relationships and gone into the unknown, into a foreign land, into a foreign land where she's uh, likely hated or at least alienated, she chose that. And from Boaz's perspective, that's no, you have taken shelter under the wings of God, and God is going to notice that, and He's going to richly reward that at some point. And so it gives us a sense when, you know, when we think everything is lost, when we're in, in a Ruth slash Naomi period. You know, we think there's nothing. God's not listening. He's stripped me down. He's taken everything from me. That's how it feels when you're in the midst of suffering. But from, from heaven's perspective, from an eternal perspective, we have no idea whether what part of the story we're in. And the story of Ruth shows us what God can do with the worst situation you can possibly be in, which is what Ruth and Naomi were in, wasn't just like, oh, I'm having a bad day. No, this was the worst situation a human being can be in. You buried your husband, you buried your children. What's worse than that? There's nothing. And yet, that is the situation into which this whole episode takes place, into which God's going to step, and He's going to completely turn that and redeem that for His own good. And so it's one of the many examples in Scripture of God bringing goodness out of evil. It doesn't mean the evil is less evil. It doesn't mean the suffering is not suffering. But it means that God can override or overrule that suffering and that evil and bring about something better. And that's where it takes faith. That's where we have to have our, our view of who God is and who we are grounded in Scripture so that we have that storehouse of hope to pull from when we're in these times where it seems like uh, we've been emptied like Ruth and we're just, I mean, like Naomi and we're just bitter at God. So that's what he's going to end up doing. But 
at this point, all Ruth knows is that this man, this stranger, uh, this high-ranking guy is showing her incredible kindness. You know, like you're... I'm trying to think of an example. We, it's, we're not a gleaning, scavenging, harvesting society, so it's hard to think of good examples. But, uh, you know, like imagine walking around uptown picking up trash, scraps to recycle, and the CEO of Bank of America comes down and takes notice of you. Or something like, you know, somebody high-ranking, and it's like, hey, 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 come here, come here. I want you to work in the office, and I want you to start making copies for me. I want you to start doing, you know, just giving you the ability to do some work when that's what you're longing for and looking for. And he's not done yet. Verse 13, um, Ruth says, May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. You've given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant girl, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. So again, she recognizes she's below his servant status because she's not just a servant. She's a foreigner. She's not just a foreigner. She's a Moabite. So she's a woman, she's a foreigner, she's a Moabite. Those are three strikes in this ancient culture. And yet he's overwhelming her with this kindness. And he's not done. Verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, dip it in the wine vinegar. Uh, the, the word for wine vinegar, we don't know exactly what it is, but it's some kind of sauce, some kind of delicacy that you would eat with the bread to soften it or give it flavor or um, it, possibly some type of yogurtish, sour something. So, but anyway, it's, he says, come over here, eat with us. You've been working all day. Come eat with us. You know, come eat at the, the, at the big kids' table, so to speak. So he uh, has her come over. And when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, to scavenge, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, and that's, again, that's what you didn't do. Scavengers were to just take what's left over in the field. But he says, even if she gathers among the sheaves, goes in and starts kind of picking, uh, don't shame her or embarrass her. In other words, leave her alone. Let her, rather, verse 16, even more so, rather pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So not only let her come and, and glean where she's technically not supposed to, where the good stuff is, pull some out and put, throw it on the ground. In other words, give her... See, this is again that beautiful balance between charity and honor and dignity. Because he's not saying, hey, just hand her some stalks. You know, because there's something that's needed in, in for us to do work and to live off of the work of our own hands. And so he's giving her extravagant opportunity. Not extravagant handout, but extravagant opportunity. So he's like, yeah, this is, I mean, and he's giving her from his pocket. This is his grain. This is grinding grain and threshing grain is a very labor intensive process. It is not easy. And it's doesn't. It, it's not like you just there's a machine that you put something in and out comes grain. Like it is very labor intensive. We talked about it last week. So every handful that they pull out of the sheaves is like literally reaching into his wallet and pulling out money, and and just throwing money away from their perspective. But from her perspective, it's life saving. It's 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 giving. And and so uh, he says. Uh, rather pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So this shows us a lot about Boaz's character. This whole chapter. One, his workers like him. 
when he greets them, they greet him back in a friendly way. He's not a hated landowner. He's not a, a, a boss that's resented. He's a kind and he's a generous person. Uh, secondly, he eats with his workers. He's the landowner. He could just go back. He doesn't need to be there with them, but he eats with his workers. He's out there with them. And then, thirdly, in his treatment towards Ruth, the outsider, the immigrant, the Moabite. You know, I mean, talk about somebody coming in and stealing jobs. Like Ruth's literally coming in and taking from what his harvesters have worked to produce. Right? So everything about this situation would rub some people the wrong way. But Boaz's extravagant kindness overrides that. And he's like, no, this is how it's going to be. So his name, in him is strength. Man, that's a fitting name for somebody with this character. And everything's above board. Some people tell this as a romance story because they know that they're going to get married in the end. But it's important to realize, at this point, there are no romantic overtures. He has not shown any desire to take advantage of her. He's in fact made it safe for her. He's told his workers don't mess with her. Don't touch her. Don't treat her improperly. Don't even shame her. Like he is the epitome. It's after the book of Judges, after like half a year of horrible, horrible leadership in Israel. It's a breath of fresh air when we meet Boaz. He's like, finally, somebody gets it. Somebody keeps Torah. And not just the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. Finally, we come across somebody who's living according to the covenant. And it's, it's refreshing. He's a role model for men and he's a role model for women in terms of anybody in a position of power. If you're, a job, if you're a boss, if you're a manager, if you're a parent, if you're over somebody, if you have any kind of authority, be Boaz to the people around you. Be Boaz. Be generous. Be, be amiable. Be um, wise and kind and thoughtful. And always ready to show overwhelming grace. So I love Boaz. He's such a fantastic character. And that's who God, through His providence, ended up, Ruth just happened to be gleaning in His field. And so you see the hand of God all over this if you were to dust for fingerprints. You would see His hands everywhere. Behind the scenes moving and working and making it so this happens. Somebody who's, who's experienced total loss and devastation and, and every man who's had any value to her is dead at this point. Now, finally, she, she encounters a man who is, treats her with the grace that God treats His people. And that's the key of this chapter. Boaz mirrors God to Israel in his relationship to Ruth and mirrors Jesus' relationship to his church in his relationship to Ruth. And he's not done. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted. Uh, he says, you know, let her glean, pull out some stalks. Verse 17, So Ruth scavenged, gleaned in the field until evening. She then threshed the barley she had gathered. It amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Now, if your translation says she gathered about an ephah, you're like, oh, okay, an ephah. What's an ephah? Like maybe this or this? No, an ephah is 22 liters. So think of 11 two-liter bottles filled with threshed grain. That's what she did. That's enough to feed a contingent of troops. In 1 Samuel, when David and his men are on the run, they're given enough. Of 1 Samuel 17, uh, David brings, sorry, when, da when David brings provisions to his brothers and the troops in the field, he brings them an ephah of, of flour, of grain. That's a, that's a large amount. A large amount. She worked all day, and she gathered, and she gleaned, and she threshed. 
So she brought it back, and uh, she, when her mother, she carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out, the, out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. This is about the grain, the roasted grain. Remember, Boaz gave her some roasted grain, and she had enough. She ate her fill, and then she took some left over. And we find out she wasn't hoarding it. She was bringing it back to Naomi. So Naomi's got not just enough grain to provide for them for a while after this one day of work, but she's also got a delicacy to eat. She's got food. She's got dinner. And so it's an incredible turnaround. Her mother-in-law, verse 19, asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And that phrase again. Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. Verse 20, the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Literally in Hebrew, this says, he has not abandoned chesed. That's what she says. He has not, God has not abandoned his chesed to the living and the dead. Meaning, to us and my family. The dead is her son and her, her sons and his, her husband. So, all in chapter 1, Naomi had basically come to the conclusion, God's abandoned his chesed. God's given up on us. God's made my life miserable. And he's emptied me. And he's made me bitter. And I'm just nothing now. So after this one day and this one act of extravagant kindness by a person with means, her entire outlook has changed. Her she realizes God hasn't abandoned his chesed. He hasn't stopped showing kindness. He hasn't forgotten about me. And it's amazing. We never know. There have been people who have done things for me that they didn't, it wasn't a big deal to them. They had the means and they just, you know, they wrote a check or they did something, you know. And for me, it was, I was at my rope's end. And that was the thing I needed to keep me going. They had no idea. They just were doing what comes naturally to them. But for me, it meant everything. And I'm sure some of you have had those situations. Even little things where you just, God, give me a sign, give me something. I'm about and then one little thing changes your entire outlook. And that's how it was here with Naomi, is this one act of grace, of kindness. And it turned out, she goes on to say, she added, that man is our close relative. He's one of our kinsmen redeemers. The kinsman redeemer was the person in the family that was responsible for making sure the family didn't slide into destitution. So if somebody was poor and they had to sell themselves into slavery, which is what people did in the ancient world, most slaves were bought, not captured. If somebody had to sell themselves into slavery, the kinsman redeemer from that family, their job was to procure the funds to buy that person's freedom. That's why they're called a kinsman, because they're related. Redeemer. Redeem means to buy back from slavery. So the kinsman redeemer was supposed to make sure that nobody in the family ended up in slavery. They were supposed to do the same thing with land. If somebody was so poor, they had to sell their land. Remember, land belonged to the tribe and the clans. A kinsman redeemer was supposed to buy back that land give it to the family. So the kinsman redeemer had a role in making sure that the family didn't experience destitution or injustice. If somebody killed a family member, there were no ancient courts in the near, I mean, there was no ancient like police force. So, if somebody killed a member of your family, the person who was to avenge that death and put the person to death was the kinsman redeemer. That's what their job was. So, their job was to look out for and to protect the family. And so, Naomi realizes of all the people in all the fields that we could have worked at today, 
you just happen to end up in the one of our close family member, kinsman redeemer. This is the hand of God at work. And that's what she uh, is celebrating. So, verse 21, then, then Ruth said, and another thing, you know, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. And the word is not stay with, but cling to. It's that word dabak. Again, cling to. Stay, enter into our family. Be united. Cleave to us until the harvest is finished. See, she was just working one day in one field. And remember, these are not fields like big onion fields or corn fields. These are little plots of land on a terraced hillside. Bethlehem is, is just mountainous and rocky. So your fields are wherever you can carve a flat area and plant some plants in it. And so, I mean, I've been to Bethlehem. I know what it's like. I've spent time there. And, and the fields are little tracks. So he would have owned all of these different fields. So they would have worked each day in a different track. Cutting, binding the sheaf, taking it in, and then the gleaners coming along and scavenging. So he invites her, you know, I got a lot more land and we have a big harvest, so stay with us the whole time. In verse 22, Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls because in someone else's field you might be harmed. In other words, it's dangerous to scavenge as a single woman in the ancient Near East, especially a foreigner. And uh, so this will be, actually, this is perfect. This is perfect for you. And that's how that it will be good for you is very weak in English, but the phrase in Hebrew is like, this is perfect. You will be safe in his field. He's our kinsman redeemer, and he's an upstanding man, and he's been generous and allowed you and brought you in. So a complete turnaround, a complete 180 from the situation, how it ended in chapter 1, how it ends in chapter 2. So Ruth clung to, and I've said stay close, but it's cling. Ruth clung to the servant girls of Boaz, to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. Remember, the barley harvest was first, then the wheat harvest, a couple of, uh, about seven weeks or so, seven or eight, six or seven, eight weeks, somewhere in that time is the amount of time we're looking at. And she lived with her mother in law. So for about seven weeks, late April early, to early June, somewhere in there is this time, that we're, the time span that we're looking at. The book could end here and it would be a happy ending. Ruth could end right here and it would be, on, a, on an earthly level, it would be a perfectly happy ending. But God's not done. Because He's not just satisfied with a happy ending. He wants an extravagant ending. And it's something that's more important in the big picture of Scripture coming up. Right now, He's shown chesed to, one widow, or to, to two widows. One foreigner and one Bethlehemite. But He's not done yet. Because he's going to go over and over and above, not just bringing some okayness out of the situation, but he's actually going to completely turn it around. And, and it's going to have eternal consequences. Uh, but we're out of time. So we'll come back next week. We'll do Ruth chapter 3. Uh, so come hungry, tell your friends, tell your coworkers. Let's keep filling this place up. Have a great week.